Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And I am here today, uh, virtually, remotely, with Steel Smiley, and he is the founder of Crisp and Green, which is a salad concept that you go in and you can get salads made for you, or you can pick your own ingredients. And we are recording this in the time of coronavirus, where the restaurants have been closed here. I think we're going on week number six. Steele, how you doing? Hey, I, I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate you doing this, and I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, we, to, in all transparency, you and I had recorded a podcast, gosh, about eight weeks ago, and I had a disc <laughs> yeah. failure, which has only happened one other time in three and a half years. So we had this like great conversation. I was so jazzed about it. And then I went to go download it to edit it, and it was gone, which was horrible. So thank you for being back on the podcast. It's kind of funny how that all worked out, because... So much of what we would have talked about then is so different now. Yeah, no, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, the world has literally changed so much since the last time you and I spoke, and uh, maybe it was one of those things that was meant to be. So we could we could talk now, and and uh, what we would talk about now is certainly a lot more relevant to what we would have been speaking about eight weeks ago. I have to say, I feel like first of all, you strike me as an extremely positive person. You are very forward thinking. You're an entrepreneur at heart. When someone gives you a challenge, you find a way around it. In some ways, I think you are like the best person to be talking to because you're so particularly adept in my mind at these circumstances that we're in right now. Does this feel exhilarating to you in a weird way? Uh, well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words. And you know, the answer is absolutely. I mean, I, I think that it, it, it's mixed emotions, right? I mean, you're looking at the challenges that we all face and people that we know, and I know the people in my life um, that I know have been infected and and that are, have had challenges and with their family members. Um, and, you know, certainly even within the restaurant business of the difficulty that it's been for other restaurateurs. And you look at it like a big family, you know, you've got your full service, your fast casual, um, you know, your drive through but we're all in, in the business of hospitality. And so it's been such a difficult time for so many. But on the flip side, I think for the entrepreneur, um, you know, there there is always opportunities when the chaos arrives. And, you know, we have to execute the best way we can. While in this case, where we preserve as many jobs as we possibly can, make sure that we're doing our job to stay healthy for the people that we serve, and also being a good ambassador for the industry as a whole and sharing those ideas with others who can benefit and improve their businesses too. So I, I look at I look at it as a multifaceted answer, um, but I always think in times of chaos, which just definitely fits into that camp, there is definitely opportunity. And and I and I'm positive today. I'm certainly positive. So you have Crispin Green, which is a franchised concept, but you also own some of the franchises here. So that's where most people would be familiar with you. How many locations do you have currently? You know, we, we have seven seven locations uh, that are open in Minnesota. Um, certainly had, you know, plans to continue to to grow. And, and this is, um, you know, we, we've, we've taken a moment to pause here to make sure that, uh, you know, we service the state of Minnesota and make sure that all of our stores are performing. But, you know, as the franchisor and owner of the brand as a whole, you know, I'm still responsible for the performance of all the stores, regardless of whether I own them individually uh, or whether it's a franchise store, someone is paying me to make sure that uh, that that store performs, and and they operate it. Um, 
but you know what happens in that store ultimately still is a representation of the brand I created, and I want it to be great. Well, and I think what's nice for you is Chris Humphreys, who is a former Timberwolves player, is your franchisor in Minnesota, and I know you guys are friends. So that might be a, a lucky thing right now because you're able to kind of work together in a way that would be a little bit more personal than just if you were dealing with your franchisees, right? Yeah, and the reality of it is is that you know I don't I don't have a lot of day to day interaction with with Chris. He has a management team that operates uh, operates the business for him, um, and they do a really really fantastic job of uh, of keeping things going. And so you know we it's not like we're talking every day and making adjustments in the store. We have sure. another fantastic franchisee. His name is Blake, who um, is a, is a, is a, is a world-class operator and, and he does a really fantastic job. And so, you know, we, we, we have, um, you know, the adjustments that we make in our home office, and then we disseminate those ideas and tips and tricks and, and methodologies to, to the store. So, you know, it's, it, it certainly helps to have good relationships with your franchisees, but we are also lucky right now in the sense that we have just two. Um, so it, it is not, you know, that encompasses the seven stores, Versus being a more mature system, the last system I left, I mean, I think I had 796 franchisees, unique franchisees in the United States. So um, that would have been much more difficult to maneuver than this system with there's essentially three of us in, involved. So we can make adjustments very, very quickly. And, and we certainly have. Yeah. And you've been involved in the fitness business, which also has taken a massive hit in that gyms aren't able to open right now. Do How do you, like, I just, that is one sector like that and some personal care, like things like massage. And I just, I don't know how that's going to come back online. Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, I, I think about the fitness business every day because I spent all, almost 15 years of my life in it. And, um, you know, having formerly, you know, operated the largest franchisor in, in the world that was, wellness focused. We had six concepts, 2,500 gyms in 25 countries. Um, you know, that, that is a monster, monster challenge. Um, especially when you're, you're forced to close. And then when you reopen, you have this, this whole concept of how do people who are touching the same weights every single day, same cardio machines, how in the world do you keep them healthy? I mean, it is far easier to do it in the restaurant business where we take unbelievable precautions every single day uh, and to ensure that people are healthy in, in the fitness business. I mean, I, it, it would be very, very challenging for that business to move forward um, the same way that it was when it, you know, before this happened, I, I think it will be forever changed. And the reality of it is, I think that there'll be some uh, large amounts of contraction in that business. And I, and I think that mom and pop operator um, or individual franchisee with a small number of stores could be very affected. So um, you know, it, it, it is it is tough. It's been a tough blow, I think, for the fitness business in general. And as we sit here and speak today in Minnesota, there's no clear answer when the gyms will ever reopen. Um, and I know as a uh, you know gym user myself, just personally, I mean, I, I and the thousands of others that are a part of it. And you too. I mean, it's hard for us. It is. Um, and it's so funny because some of these businesses like, you know, I'll, I'll just throw out like a Planet Fitness where the equipment largely sits in a space and then you can contract for additional services, but you have an access code in 24 hours a day. You can go and go to your gym and it can be a really kind of private experience or it can be more uh, a group setting, however you'd like to do it. And that was a great business model because it kind of ran itself, right? But 
now, like just the idea of you, you're going to have to have attendance in all of these places, wiping down all this equipment 24 seven. And, you know, like I'm not a big sweater, but my husband's a head sweater. And man, if he gets on like a (laughs) spin bike, look out, you don't want to be within two feet of the guy. And I think that's pretty common. You know, I I think you're exactly right. And you look at, you know, and certainly in that business, uh, you know, planet, very, very good, healthy system with good health, healthy economics. Sure. You know, the individual franchisees do very, very well, better than any other gym chain in that 24 hour space. So, you know, they'll probably be okay. But you look at some of those other competitors in the space that have the smaller formats, you know, maybe 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 square foot stores, you know, they just don't have the economic unit level model to support someone cleaning all day. So how do they make it? And, and, and then, you know, more, you know, more importantly, if you have three, four, five, six hundred members, how many of those members are going to be happy going back into that gym, you know, feeling like they can work out again, or are they more likely to have a Peloton in their home or run outside or do whatever they want to do? So right. I, I think it's, it's going to be a fundamental shift um, that will never be the same in the fitness business. And, and again, your key operators and your talented entrepreneurs will capitalize on that. Um, you know, you, you have your workout systems at home, like, like tonal and mirror that are these built-in systems into the wall that are unbelievable. And, you know, if your if your users have not heard of them, they should check them out. That that's so relevant today because you can get a gym level experience or group setting class inside your house. But the problem is, is that, you know, they're still limited to people who have three, $4,000 to spend. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what's that individual user going to do that goes to Planet Fitness and doesn't want to touch the equipment? They're probably going to work out at home for a while and drop their membership. So yep. um, it's going to change forever. Well, and I, at the holiday time, you know, there was the commercial of the guy that bought his girlfriend the Peloton bike and we were all horrified. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly. now I'm like, oh, darn, I could have <laughs> used that Peloton bike because that's just, you know, I can go out and bike outside now, but in the winter time, it's going to be grim. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, but your cost to entry, I mean, you're $2,500 for a bike, you're $25 a month or $30 a month. And so, you know, you, you, there, there, there's a cost level that is, is prohibitive for some. Yep. And so, you know, it, it's, it's your small operators that are going to, they're going to struggle with the independent franchise. They own two or three individual stores. Um, I think it's going to forever change and, and, um, you know, hopefully it's not the case, but I, I have not as, not as bullish of a view on that as, as maybe some would. So let's move to the restaurant space, which is your Absolutely. space now. And yeah. we know that restaurant tours generally have always had a high level of cleanliness just because they're mandated, number one, and they're safeguards. Let's just talk about the day. For I want you to just give me a sense of like the day that they, it was like a week of time where we were feeling like closing was imminent, closing was coming, closing was coming. Tell me what it felt like to be an owner of these concepts when all of a sudden they told you you had to shut down. Yeah, boy, that's a great question. I mean, I, I have goosebumps literally thinking about it. Um, and I'm going to give you a two-part answer. The, the first of which is the actual day. Um, and, and for me, it was kind of multiple days on end. And, and I think you know, I was getting calls, um, you know, we were communicating with the governor um, through a mutual friend and he was calling us back and we were understanding, okay, what's going to happen to the restaurant business? What's going to happen to, you know, do you pay sales tax? Um, are we going to be forced to shut down? And so we, we, unlike many other brands, had a very direct communication, not only with Capitol Hill um, through people that I knew, but also to the governor's office directly. So we had a little bit of, of insight as to what would happen. But it, it was pandemonium. I mean, I think, it, you know, every hour you'd look 
and the stock market would drop. I had friends calling me saying, Hey, I just went to US Bank. They would only limit, you know, I could only take a thousand dollars out. They stopped, you know, taking deposits out. I had people mm-hmm. that were going to the gr- grocery store taking as much as they possibly could. So, you know, it was no one was really prepared for it until it, it hit. Um, but we had one little advantage that that made all the difference in the world. Um, you know, my previous in my previous career in fitness, half of my responsibility was outside the United States. And so I have I had become very used to watching the international news um, through the BBC and other um, other outlets that were just a part of my day to day routine. And so, you know, I was watching what was happening in the rest of the world, um, you know, and paying attention to those things. So, for example, you know, we were able to order um, all of the masks uh, while they still were in inventory. We, we were able to order all of the sa- uh, hand sanitizers mm-hmm. well before they were stocked out. We were able to order all the towels and the toilet, you know, all the toilet paper and all those things that you would need to run a business. We were able to stock up on those items and we felt like maybe we were a little bit early. And so we contacted our suppliers. We had huge inventory of these things that, you know, now we've been able to run through. And, and fortunately, the supply chain's caught up. So we're we're able to kind of continue to keep going. But, you know, we we had a little bit of foresight in, 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 in the sense of this could be very, very impactful. Um, and so we knew that the business model had to change. And, you know, we we were watching people fell into two camps, which was. This is an unbelievable, and I always say this every day, it's like a Harvard business case because it's like, what do you do? You had 50 percent. First of all, every full service restaurant had to close. Yep. You have 50 percent of your fast casual or fast food that chose to stay open and 50 percent of those that said, you know, hey, we're we're uh, we're out. You know, we don't think we can make the the economics work. And then out of the 50 percent that stayed open, only a handful of them modified their offering to take advantage of the opportunity and serve their customers in the best way possible. And out of the ones that were open, only a few of them um, have an, an app that was even able to do delivery or order online. And so the, the, it, it became a small subset of a smaller subset of a smaller subset that actually had the opportunity to stay propped up during this this pandemic. And um, you know, we were very fortunate that we were uh, able to not only stay open, but retain all of our employees um, and also modify our business model uh, to leverage the technology that we already had in place to continue to serve our guests, you know, with revenue that, you know, is very close to where the levels were before this hit. So we, we feel very, yeah, thank you. We, we're, we feel very blessed um, and fortunate to be able to do that. And we know we're in the minority and, um, you know, we're, we, but we have the tools in place and the ingenuity during that shift to make those changes very, very rapidly. And most businesses would have, you know, didn't, didn't. And, um, and that's, you know, it's tough because we want everyone to be successful because we want everything to be normal, just like, just like you do, you know? Right. And, right. Um, but we feel very fortunate. You had a very, um, I loved your business model that you had. And what I've noticed is how quickly you've pivoted to, like family size meals and take and make meals. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like that caught a lot of the restaurant industry by surprise that that was going to be something that people really wanted. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. And, you know, we, we, um, so for your listeners that don't know, we, we offer predominantly, uh, well, 
prior to this, you would go through an, a, a line and you would you would make your salad and it would be beautiful and Instagrammable and all those things. And, and you could either have it delivered or you could pick it up or do a, a get a you know put a tremendous amount of money into an app and you would hit a button and it would just appear on a countertop inside of our stores. You could pick it up. The idea of, of providing, you know, raw items in bulk was something that um, I had thought about, you know, uh, uh, when, when this was starting. And we realized that that opportunity was going to be massive, but we also understood that the families were going to buy a tremendous amount of prepackaged goods and canned goods going into this problem. So, you know, we had to understand that number one, you know, to provide a meal kit, which, which allows you right now, you can go on our app and you can order, you know, um, anything you want. You can order uh, chicken, uh, you can order a la carte, you can order basically just like the grocery store, except or, or Instacart uh, or any of those things, except for the fact that our delivery is in 30 minutes. So it's the same experience, except the food is more fresh and it's uh, as value priced and it can be delivered right to your door. Um, and so for us, you know, we, we, we had to have the technology in place, um, but we also had to take advantage of that pivot. And so I called everyone into a, an office. We held two meetings. Uh, we did an, an 8.30 call, um, and then we did a 2.30 afternoon meeting, and we did that seven days a week, um, and we're still doing that to this day. So we're, we're, we, 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 we pivoted uh, completely, um, and we were recognized for it. Forbes picked us up um, as the, one of the first chains in the United States to offer this prepackaged meal kit. And now everyone has done something similar mm -hmm. Um, and Forbes was, was so gracious and I'm, I, I'm indebted to them forever for running a big story on Crispin Green. But, um, you know, we, we realize everyone has since done it, but the problem is, is that people didn't execute necessarily all the same way. And, you know, people were selling, other brands were selling toilet paper and all these weird things. Um, and, and we, we stayed very true to very crisp, healthy, great food delivered to your door, whether you wanted it pre-made or whether you wanted the raw ingredients, maybe to make tacos at home, um, and so we also realized, Stephanie, one, one crazy thing is that, you know, it was going to be like a three week lag for people to be able to order these things because we knew that it wouldn't take off right away because everyone was stocked up. So we had to have the patience to invest into this platform and, and let it pay off. And it certainly did. Yeah, I would say. Uh, is there any thought about bottling the Agua Frescas? You know, I, I think the shelf life on that is pretty is pretty short. So that's definitely something we've looked into, and uh, it's, it's it's not on our development timeline. Um, but we will offer the ability at some point for someone to take a gallon of it if they want, um, and they can. You know, they've got four or five or six days to consume it. So, um, look, the way I look at it is, my job is very simple. I have to satisfy the guest's needs, regardless of what is thrown at me. It's my job to make sure that I'm delivering a crisp service with unbelievable hospitality and a smile and, 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 a, and a great experience every single day. And, um, you know, we take all feedback. People come in all of the time with questions. We get hundreds of direct messages a day and they say, Hey, what about this? And what about this? Yeah. And, and we listen and we look at every single one of them because we would not be here without our customers. And they've been so appreciative. People are dropping off notes at you know, our front and, and, and it, it, you know, down in Wyzetta, there's a wall people have taken, and, and kind of handwritten notes from the outside of the store and they tape them to the window saying, thanks for being open. And, you know, thanks for wearing gloves, you know, uh, it, you know, when you deliver and thanks for doing all the small things that, that you just should do. And we just look at it as an opportunity for, to, to serve those communities. Um, and, and it's truly an honor every day to be open and just 
give people a smile and say, Hey, we, we got you, you know, we, we got you. And, and I don't care if we make money on it or not, it's the right thing to do right now. And if there's one thing that this has done, this pandemic has done is it's truly made a community when there maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have been one before, because we are truly all in this together. Yeah. And you, I mean, you are a real person that has studied management and leadership philosophy. If you were going to give advice to other leaders of companies right now, what do you think are like the top three things they need to have or be doing or what are skill sets they need to exhibit? Great, great question. I mean, I think the first thing is to listen. Um, You know, every sort of young entrepreneur, and I know I fit into this category, um, I, it took me a decade to learn to listen. Um, and I had to learn the hard way. And, and I realized that I didn't have every answer all the time. And some of the best answers I had, I had a meeting this morning with, you know, a virtual meeting on FaceTime chat. We had, you know, five or six of us on the call, which is kind of a cool platform. And, uh, you know, I had the youngest member of our team, she's in her young 20s, have just a tremendous idea that, you know, you encourage everyone to share their ideas. I think the second thing is be, be flexible, you know, make sure that, you, you know, you have the opportunity um, to make those pivots when they happen. And sometimes they're life-saving for your business. And, you know, it, it is definitely scary and, and it's, it's outrageous at times to think about, Hey, this worked before I'm just going to stick with it. You know, that your, 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 your top level entrepreneurs, they're always modifying and, and changing. And, and I would say that the third, third thing is you got to work hard. I mean, and I definitely know that entrepreneurs typically fit into two camps, people that, you know, um, you know, work, you know, every day and are on top of it and, and those that, you know, work occasionally. And, and I, there is a correlation between those that put in the time and that were willing to work. I mean, we're running seven days a week right now. I'm communicating with my team seven days a week. And, um, you know, not every team is willing to do that. And I've got, you know, the best team in, in, in restaurants currently. I, I, I'm so beyond thankful for everyone that they step up to the plate and, and they're doing it. But you got to surround yourself with probably good people too. And that's maybe a fourth thing. Um, it's not really about the entrepreneur. It has the success of Crispin Green has very little to do with steel. It truly is the ability for others to play their role. Um, you know, just like a great basketball team would or, or, or a great football team or whatever your analogy is. It's, it's not about one person. It's about everyone together and how, you know, sort of you do that in harmony. And if you can do it and capture it, you can win. If you don't, it's not, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to win. You are a person that looks at opportunity all the time. And I imagine as an entrepreneur in your heart that you're looking at some of the burgeoning opportunities that are going to come out of this, aren't you? You know, I, I, I am, and I'm fortunate enough that I get the phone call. So, you know, you, <laughs> you know, just, just, just Sunday night, I had somebody call me and another top, top entrepreneur, maybe top two or three entrepreneur that we all know in Minnesota call me and say, Hey, Steele, what are you doing? Tell me, tell me, let's talk about this. And so I think you're seeing a lot of collaboration with people. And I, and I know I love a good partnership. Um, uh, and, and I, I've been very blessed at, at Crispin Green to have great partners, um, you know, that I've worked with Ryan and Lily, who I started this business with. And, you know, we, we, uh, but, but that's really what it's all about. And I think good collaboration and there's, there's going to be opportunities. I think the, the most alarming part of this one though, however, is that, you know, you, you, you got to stay focused on your mothership because, you know, so much is changing so quickly that, you know, you, if you pivot to do something different, you know, you, you don't want the first ball to drop. And so I think there's a little bit of more sensitivity and tentativity, if that's a word, even, um, you know, to, to, to make sure that you're going to choose something that works. Um, 
because I mean, look, how, how many, you know, you see a lot of the same entrepreneurs going after the same, we all know we need, you know, this idea to be protective of ourselves and, um, and there's going to be those opportunities around just the more obvious things, but it's, it's the non-obvious things where there may be the most opportunity. I, I think it's interesting too, that you mentioned the time and the speed with which things are moving that first couple of weeks, it was so exhausting just, you know, being someone who's in that restaurant space, you had half of it was just the sheer anxiety of people losing their livelihoods and trying to figure out how to save their business. And then just the speed of which things were moving, not only like the closing, but setting up your online ordering system and what are you going to offer? And you mentioned in the beginning, everybody transferred like their entire menu, which was dumb. I had one client that was had frozen drinks. I was like, um, these aren't going to travel very well. You know, yeah, like you really yeah. needed to pare down like, okay, what are our fan favorites? What can we execute? And let's not give people a horrible experience just because we're trying to stay open. Like it's evolved and I think things are better. But in the beginning, it was just, it was a hairy days, boy. Oh, it definitely was. And most of those restaurants, you know, that pivoted early, you know, probably you know, at least something I'm aware of didn't end up staying open. I mean, it wasn't profitable for them yep. to stay open and deliver, you know, five or 15 meals a night for dinner. It just, it just didn't work. And so you've now seen many of those close and, you know, God willing, they all reopen. I mean, you know, we, we, we thrive, our community thrives on, on diversity, you know, within the restaurant sector and there, everyone should have the opportunity to continue to stay in business, but the reality of it, it probably won't be the same. And that's, that's going to be uh, tough. But in those early moments, it was, it was nothing short of, of chaos. And I mean, I didn't want to go to bed at night because I would miss something. And, um, you know, I would get up in early in the morning and, and I, you know, you had your, your, you know, I, I, I mean, my, my phone was ringing, you know, late into the night, right. and early in the morning, you know, with, Hey, who do I know on Capitol Hill? Who can I get an answer from? What do we think is going to happen? What's Trump going to do? What's the stimulus going to look like? What programs are going to come out? be in first in line here, make sure you do this here. I mean, I was hitting my entire network and thankfully it, it worked, but um, you know, I wish there was also an opportunity for some of the entrepreneurs that maybe, maybe are listening or other people that didn't have that level of, of connectivity that, 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 that we could have shared some of this information with other people to help them too, because, you know, we were able to get information faster because we have a, you know, very blessed to have a good network um, whereas a lot of people maybe didn't have that advantage. And so um, the information, a lot of it was just straight up in, incorrect. I mean, I know a lot of the things we read early were came out one day, you should do this or, or, or apply for this or call this person or this is what's going to happen. And then the next day, it, you know, it, it completely changed. There was a moment where we got a phone call from someone who is a uh, number two of the National Guard in Minnesota that said, we've just mobilized our entire group. I want you to know we're, we're going to be bringing in people and they're going to shut the borders off, which means our supply chain is over. And I mean, that never even happened. Um, right. So, and I think what we later found out was that, you know, on Capitol Hill, that was what was going to happen. And someone changed their mind and it didn't happen. And so our intel was reliable, but they there was so much changing so fast that, you know, <laughs> It, one hour you hear it and you say, okay, supply chain's done. We're not going to get trucks. We can't get food. It's over. And then the next minute is, well, no, we're going to do it. We're going to just, you know, pivot. So my goodness, I mean, it's, it's been fascinating. It's been team building. It, 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 it's been scary, um, exhilarating, crazy, all in, you know, what, 30 days, <laughs> 30 days. 
When you talk about some of the loan programs and the payment protection programs, I imagine you applied for some of those like many people did. Did you get funding and were you angry when a lot of the funding went to people like Shake Shack or Ruth Chris? Um, you know, we're, we were in a different position than a lot of the brands that needed that needed the funding. Um, I'll, I'll comment, I think, on the bigger brands that got it, because I think that it, it is always alarming. You know, when you've got the opportunity to sell your own paper or your own stock to raise capital, um, you know, that's problematic that you're taking away. And, and, I, and I know I, I've read multiple statistics of, of, of who applied and who got money and mm-hmm. who didn't get money. But I know that it was a very small minority of, I think, the people that needed it actually got it. And that's a big problem. I mean, we we have big thinkers in this country. We, we have an enormous um, lack of entrepreneurs to figure out how to get. I mean, just, just the way the stimulus was was put in place. Um, I mean, it, it's hardly helpful to a lot of the, the brands that needed it. You know, for example, you know, you, you're required to spend it. Um, but the problem is, is that we have no mandated opening date for right. most of the brands right. that would need it. So, you know, basically it, it, it's thrown out and then there's no. Um, so it, it was it was late. Um, you, you know, it didn't go to the right people. And uh, as of this morning, I mean, I think a three hundred and fifty billion dollars are supposed to be earmarked again. Um, but but in they're saying it's going to go out in two or three days. You had your big banks like U.S. Bank and Wells Fargo, who you know, turned away everybody um, or, or told people they would get it, but they didn't get it. You had small, super small banks that came and stepped up big. So it, it was a total disaster. And, and I, I uh, you know, it was well intended. It just didn't work the way that it was supposed to. And so, you know, we were very fortunate that our revenue was able to stay, you know, we're, we, we stayed open and we've stayed open every day since it was announced and, and we're still delivering. And, you know, our business is largely restored. But the reality of it is, is that we know that that's not the case for everybody else. And so, you know, our, our hope is that they get what they need to be successful. And, you know, the government does the right thing. Um, yeah, I kind of feel this. It helps people. I feel the same way. Like, I don't want to demonize Ruth Chris, Shake Shack or any other businesses for being on it, having a good relationship with their bank and applying for the loans that they thought they were entitled to get, where... You know, I'm not angry about them applying. I'm not angry that they did that. They're trying to take care of their business and their people too. It just, I think, was so quickly executed and small businesses weren't, you know, maybe they should have been identified of what is a small business. Because it is a little galling when, you know, you see that Ruth Chris bought back $5 billion of their, or $5 million of their own stock during the last tax break. But yet, you know, the restaurant down the corner, the diner that employs, you know, 32 people and it's a mom and pop shop, you know, isn't able to get anything. So it was a little ham handed. I hope it'll get sorted out and there'll be more funds for people. At the end of the day, you know, this is 20% unemployment in the state of Minnesota, which we have not seen since the Great Depression. It will be very interesting to see. And just the class of, of restaurant workers, you know, restaurant work has always either been A, a career, or B, it's been an opportunity to fill in while you're going to school, or maybe you're a single mom and you need some extra cash. All of the gig economy and all of the restaurant jobs, it's so stunning to me how many people are unemployed. Yeah, and, and I'll comment on one thing and then I'll, I'll get to that. So da- to Danny credit, uh, to Danny's credit, uh, CEO of Shake Shack, I mean, he, he ended up giving back his $10 million. Um, I saw and, that. And it, 
Yeah, they, they did return it, which I think was the right thing to do. And I, I think a lot of these big businesses were under this impression that everyone was going to get it, right? I mean, I don't think any, I think they anyone, did too. Yeah, right. And so some of some of them, I think Danny Meyer's done a nice job with that and, and did return it. And he's certainly been a good ambassador for the business, and I've appreciated what 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 he's done. But you know, he, here's the challenge, and this is what I tell my team every day, and I, and I'll tell them, you know, again here in, in, in an hour when I'm having my second team meeting of of, of the day, but. You know, we're at r- roughly 20% unemployment. Um, you know, you, you've got a market, a stock market that's largely rebounded and has performed relatively well um, coming back. Um, but there is a, a, a an inverted sense of optimism because every CEO that I talk to, and, and, I, and I'm talking at this point, I've made a, a goal of mine to talk to two or three a day. Um, you know, whether you've got 40,000 employees, you know, talked to a couple of days ago to, you know, I, I talked to someone earlier this morning, maybe had three, 400. I think he's got three, four hundred employees. Mm-hmm. You know, your C- your CEOs are not optimistic to bring back a lot of the workers. Now, you know, we're we're restored. We 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 have all of our workers back. Mm-hmm. But for the businesses that are 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 shut, like for example, the gym business or the the yep. fitness industry, how are you going to feel about you know bringing everybody back, knowing that your revenue may never match pre-COVID era? or pre-COVID numbers. And so, you know, you have this idea that this, this unemployment is, is going to spike. And then, and then once economy opens back up, it's going to get better. I, I think your, your CEOs are thinking a little bit more um, strategically in the sense of, look, I, I don't want to bring somebody back because I don't know whether the, I'm going to have the revenue to support them. And the worst thing to do is to bring them back. And then three months later, you lay them off again, then you're holding that person away from an opportunity that they would have doing something different. So, you know, it, it, it is a, it is an interesting, it's going to be very interesting to see it, but, but I, I believe we're going to end up with a very large unemployment rate for quite some time as this thing rebounds. And until there is some type of a cure or opportunity where we know we're good, even this antibody test, there's so much ambiguity over whether the test is accurate or not, Absolutely. or whether you can re, re, retransmit, you know, until we have that answer, your CEOs, I'm sorry, they're not going to be bullish about bringing their, their 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 teammates back because you know they don't you know th- their job is is to protect their their mothership and, and to protect their shareholders and make sure that the business stays alive. And so you know I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a high unemployment rate and the federal government will continue to extend benefits to people and 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 we may this may be a longer recovery um, than we ever we ever envisioned. And it's that mom and pop operator, whether you're in restaurants, whether you're in retail, um, any consumer facing business, that mom and pop operator is, you know, that is what worries me the most. And I, you know, I wish I could sit with all of them and have strategic conversations and, you know, help look at each individual business and transform and figure out how we stay alive together. Um, But I think there needs to be more together conversation of how do we, how do we figure this thing out versus like we're all in it for ourselves. I mean, I, I wish, I wish there was more of this, this conversation where we could, we could get the people on the phone because you know we're we're lucky again that our with our network we can get answers to all these things and and talk talk to the top CEOs and and Congress people and these types of things. But how does your Main Street operator in Anoka who does he call when he needs help? And his bank turned his loan down. Um, he's got you know thirty employees maybe in his business. How, where does he go? Right um, right now the answer is nowhere. He goes that's and me. pours himself a whiskey and tries to figure out what's yeah. next. Yeah, um, and, and my heart my heart breaks for that. And and that's that's I think the million dollar question or trillion dollar question is what do we do with your main street businesses and where do they go? Um 
And so, how much know, look, do we value them down. as part of our economy and as part of our livelihood, right? You know, you walk down Grand Avenue, and if you don't have restaurants or independent retail on that street, it's pretty grim. There's nothing on that street. So <laughs> you're exactly right. And then the other side of that is you lose your tax base. I mean, you know, for those of us that have of operated course. on Grand Avenue, I've had what two or three stores on Grand Avenue over my career, I mean, it's the highest tax base in the state of Minnesota. So yep. there's no business in there. H- how do you, how does the state get revenue? Um, you know, and, 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 and can the landowners or building owners afford to keep the businesses without tenants? So it's a cascade effect. That's going to be an academic question, but also a real life question of, Hey, these are real people. People are struggling. And um, you know, this is, this is a time for collaboration and partnership and and being humble with how you're approaching these problems and helping other people versus, you know, hey, I got this figured out. You know, good luck to you. It's it's it, th- th- there needs to be a lot more um, teamwork with businesses and and, um, and, it is and, gonna I, and I hope come, that that happens. It's going to come from the landlord on down, right? You know, it's going to be the bank. It's it going to be the landlord. It's going to be your suppliers. It's going to be your delivery drivers. Like. It's going to take all hands on deck to be able to keep an infrastructure moving that basically just has stopped for five weeks. So I'm really glad that we got an opportunity to talk today. In hindsight, I think this worked out perfect because you're a very positive person. Um, One thing that we talked about last time that I just want to touch on before I let you go is you are very interested in wellness. You are a runner. You are someone that does yoga. In this time of coronavirus, how are you staying mentally and physically healthy within yourself? Great, great question. Um, And uh, I exercise twice a day pre-COVID era, and I, I still do it today. So you know, I, I run every morning. I don't care whether it's 90 degrees or negative 100. That day we had this past winter, it was negative 30 degrees. I was out there in a full face mask and I and I, I make it work no matter what. So I do that. And then the second part of the day, you know, later in the day, um, more of an early evening, I, I do another, you know, light set of cardio and, and, and lift weights or do yoga or, or something. So it's not as vigorous as it once was where I could go to the gym or, or uh, go to a class or something like that. But but I, but I do get it in and it does make me feel better. And I, and I found that that second workout later in the day gets me pep back up to be able to have the energy to stay up later, watch the news, look, you know, get a glimpse into what's happening internationally, which starts to break at, at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and then you're ready at, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning to start your day again. So um, I, I think making sure people exercise is very, very important. But I'll say it is also alarming to see how many people are out so close to each other on all these lakes, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's still maintain your social distancing, make sure that you're healthy um, and, you know, you're you're um, you're taking care of yourself. But you got to stay with your fitness. Your fitness will help you recover. And I believe that. 20 years ago. And I still believe that. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Steele. I appreciate you talking with me today. And good luck as we continue on through the coronavirus of 2020. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.